Thank you for being with us today. We would love to have you join us in person. To partner with us or to give online, go to www.upperroomohio.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost was the second of the annual harvest festivals that the Jews celebrated. And people would travel, the Jews would travel literally from all over the Roman Empire, from all of the regions around Jerusalem, to come to Jerusalem to celebrate this great event. On the day of Pentecost, there were thousands of people in Jerusalem, many of them probably around the Temple Mount because that was one of the few places that could hold that many people. The disciples of Jesus, which included the apostles and other disciples, numbering about 120 in total, were gathered together in a room on that day of Pentecost. It was a large room, a room large enough to, to hold all of them. And it may have been the place that we commonly call the upper room not far from the Temple Mount, for which our church is named. And what were they doing? They were waiting. Now, 50 days earlier, Jesus had been crucified, and on the third day, he had literally been raised from the dead. And for approximately 40 days after his resurrection, he appeared to the disciples, physically appeared to them. He ate with them. They touched him. He instructed them about the kingdom of God and what they were to do in the future. Now, as the celebration of Pentecost approached, he ordered them to stay in Jerusalem and to wait for the promise of the Father. For he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And you will receive power. It's the word dunamis, which, from which we get the word dynamite. I mean, a lot of power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. So wait. Then Jesus, right then and there, ascended to be with the Father. He was taken up in their presence into a cloud and from their sight. About ten days later... The day of Pentecost has arrived. And the disciples, again, were sitting together in the upper room. And as Jesus had instructed, they were waiting and they were praying. When they suddenly heard a sound, it sounded like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Then something that looked like divided tongues a fire appeared to them, and they moved and rested on top of each one of them. And then what happened is they were filled with the Spirit, and they began to speak out the mighty works of God in other tongues or languages. The word is glossa, as the Holy Spirit directed them. Now, all of the disciples who were gathered there were from one region called Galilee. They all spoke the same language. And yet, 
after the Holy Spirit had come upon them, they are speaking in languages representing regions all across the Roman Empire. Languages that they did not know prior to being filled with the Spirit. And they were apparently speaking so loud that people who were outside the room and near them could hear them preaching the mighty works of God in their own language. All of those thousands of people who had gathered around the Temple Mount, who had gathered there to worship or to celebrate Pentecost, are now hearing the mighty works of God proclaimed in their own language. Now some could not understand what they were saying. And they thought that the disciples were drunk, essentially. So the Apostle Paul stands up in the midst of the crowd that had gathered together after hearing this sound. And he tells them, no, 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 the disciples are not drunk. Instead, they are actually carrying out what was prophesied by the prophet Joel in the Old Testament. That in the last days, God would pour out his spirit on all flesh. That their sons and daughters would prophesy. Their young men would see visions and their old men would dream dreams. Now I've always thought that the reason why the old men dream dreams is because old men sleep a lot. I know I'm, I'm one of them. So that's why they get to dream dreams. But old men would dream dreams. And everyone who called upon the name of the Lord would be saved. He then tells them that this Jesus of Nazareth, the one they had crucified just 50 days earlier, had been literally raised from the dead, and that they were witnesses of that. This same Jesus was now at the right hand of the Father, he said, and he was the one who actually had poured out the Spirit on all of the disciples who were gathered. And that is why they were seeing and hearing the mighty works of God in their own language. This same Jesus that they had crucified, Peter said, was both Lord and Christ, which was the Greek word for Messiah. Now, the Jews who heard Peter say these words, the scriptures say that they were cut to the heart. And they asked, what should we do? And this is so significant. Peter says, repent, which means to reverse your direction. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For that promise, the gift of the Holy Spirit was for them, their children, and for all whom the Lord calls to himself, including us. On that day when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the believers, the church as we know it was born. It was born that day. It was born through the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 people responded. That's what the scriptures say. 3,000 people. After the, the, the celebration of Pentecost ended, those people then go back to the region. So they don't go back the same way they came, you see. They go back knowing the Lord. They go back knowing the Christ. They go back being filled with the Spirit of God, who would empower them beyond what they could even imagine to be witnesses. And that's what they did. The church was born, and it would never stop growing. Now I want you to fast forward 20 years. Around 50 AD, the Apostle Paul was on his second missionary journey, and he arrives in a city called Corinth, which was located in, in Achaia, which is a region in Greece. 
Now, the culture of Corinth was a, was a very diverse group of people. People lived there who had come from all over the empire. And when they came to Corinth, they brought their idols with them. So not surprisingly, Corinth had all, any number of different temples worshiping idols or foreign gods. And Paul came into this community and he preached the good news of Jesus Christ as he did in every community that he went to. And, and some of the Corinthians responded, both Jews and non-Jews who were called Gentiles. They gave their lives to Jesus Christ. They were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they were filled with the Spirit. And they began to manifest the gifts of the Spirit, just as the disciples had on the day of Pentecost 20 years earlier. So Paul planted a church. He leaves that church, and he continues on his missionary journey. Now, approximately two years later into the life of this church, they send Paul a letter. And, and what's happening is they're having some issues. They've been filled with the Spirit, yes. And they're manifesting the gifts of the Spirit, yes. But their interpretation and their understanding of the gifts of the Spirit has led to division in their body. And so they write a letter to Paul, and they raise a number of questions. And one of the things that they were divided about was literally the gift of speaking in tongues. The very gift that had been poured out on the day of Pentecost. Now the gift of tongues that's referenced in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, it was so beautifully read by Sarah this morning. By the way, give Sarah a hand for reading that long passage of scripture. The gift of tongues, which is referenced in chapter 12, is not exactly like the gift that was poured out on the day of Pentecost. On that day, the disciples were speaking in human languages that they had not learned, but yet were human languages that others could understand. The gift of tongues, which was being experienced in Corinth and is still being experienced today, was a gift that involved a language that could not be understood, either by the speaker or by other human beings, unless someone else also had the gift to be able to interpret that language. It was a spiritual language. It was only understood by God. And when they prayed in tongues and when they spoke in tongues, they uttered mysteries in the spirit, as Paul would refer to it. Paul also called this the language of angels in 1 Corinthians 13. And, and today we often refer to this, this gift of tongues as a prayer language because it, it builds up the believer individually as they pray. Now some in the Corinthian church had this gift of tongues and some did not. And it, those who had this gift were exercising it when the church was gathered together for worship. So we have a number of people who are praying in tongues or speaking in tongues when the church gathers for worship. And this created some very interesting dynamics during worship. Now some of those who had the gift of tongues appeared to think that they were more spiritual than others in their congregation. They were special, as my mom would say. My mom, is, she's amazing. She, she takes a number of, of, of words that, that, uh, that, that you know, are normally said one way, and she, she has her own way of saying them. So, she, so things are special, and she, she washes clothes instead of washing them, and things like that, right? You probably know people, my dad goes to Toyota instead of Toyota. You know, that, that sort of says great stuff. They have their own gift of languages, if you will. But some who, who had this gift thought they were more special than those who did not. And maybe they thought that every spirit-filled believer should speak in tongues. As if this was some sort of a litmus test, you see. That if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit. 
Now, some who, who did not have that gift apparently consider themselves to be lesser than those who did. And they may have wondered whether they were really a part of the church or whether they had been filled with the Spirit at all. Others who did not have the gift of tongues may have questioned, what is that they're doing over there? And what do they say? I mean, I can't understand what they are. Are they saying something to God or is that from the devil? So they questioned whether that gift was real or whether it even existed. And bottom line, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, Paul intends to address their confusion because he understands that this has counter to what the gifts were intended to, to do, which was to, to unify the body, to, to bring us together. They had literally created division. And so he helps them. He wants them to understand some very important things about the gifts of the Spirit. And the time remaining we have today, I want to do that with you. The first thing that Paul does in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, is uh, 1 Corinthians, is he assures them that they, if they have given their lives to Christ... And if they have confessed him as Lord, then they are filled with the Holy Spirit. If you've given your life to Christ, you've confessed him as Lord, you've been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you do not need to wonder whether you have been filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not here to say, well, he does it at 30 seconds after the time you're baptized, or he only does it if you're baptized this way, or he may not do it at all if you're not baptized, or it doesn't matter. I don't, I don't have a formula. Have you ever tried to put God in a formula? That's a problem. When you try to take the infinite God and put it into your formula, that's a problem. Okay? I don't have a formula for you today. But what I can tell you is the scriptures consistently bear witness to the fact that if you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord, You've been baptized. You've confessed him as Lord. You have the Holy Spirit. Look at, look at verses 1 through 3. Paul says, now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. He, I, you know that, that you were pagans. You were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Then he goes on to say, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, what's he saying? He says, I, I know you were led astray in the passage. You were confused. You were led to idols that, that don't even speak. They're, they're mute. They're dumb. And you worship them. I want you to understand something. First of all, he says this. No one who says Jesus is accursed, no one who says that is speaking by the Spirit of God. But if someone confesses that Jesus is Lord, they do so by the Holy Spirit. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this would have meant something special to them. You see, because when they were baptized... They would confess Jesus as Lord. So when they're hearing him saying, you know, anyone who says Jesus is Lord, they are remembering that that is what they said when they were baptized. That was a baptismal confessional. Look at verse 11. It, it says a similar thing. Or excuse me, verse 13. Paul says, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. So Paul has in mind, listen, you know that I baptized some of you. You, 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 were, you were baptized. You, you confessed Jesus. If you have done that and you've said Jesus is Lord, then you do so by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is in you. I love this word, uh, all were made to drink of the Spirit. The, the, you know, the word drink there means to, to, to deluge or to, to pour out or to be drenched or flooded. 
It's not like, oh, well, we all got to take a little sip of, of the Holy Spirit and we were baptized. No, I mean, you know, if my, my brother Matt's or anything, this is like the fire hose, baby. I mean, it's like God poured it out. More than enough. And we were just like, ah, just taking it in. I saw the Indianapolis 500 recently, and the guy who went, you know, he takes that milk jug and he lifts it up, and it's like, ah, just all over his face, right? That's the word here. We were all baptized into one spirit. We were all made to drink. Ah, the one spirit. Paul wants him to know, listen, if you confess Jesus as Lord, you have the Holy Spirit in you. The next thing that Paul wants us to understand is that the gift the gift is the Holy Spirit. The gift is the Holy Spirit. We often talk about gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? But, but the gift, the gift is the Holy Spirit, okay? The Holy Spirit comes to live within us, and as we'll see in a moment, begins to manifest the Spirit, begins to manifest himself within us through various things we call gifts. But we must keep in mind that the focus is not on the gifts, it's on the giver, the Holy Spirit is the gift. What did Peter say in Acts chapter 2, verse 38? He said, you know, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus would say in, in John chapter 14, verses 16 to 17, he would say, listen, something amazing is going to happen that's never, ever, ever happened before. I'm going to go to be with the Father. And when I go to be with the Father, the Spirit will come. The Comforter will come. And, and He will not only be with you as the Spirit was throughout the Old Testament, but He will now be in you. In you. The Holy Spirit is the gift. Now next, the Spirit in, in chapter 12, verse 7 of 1 Corinthians, we, we read this. It says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The Spirit gives us a manifestation of his presence. And, and, and this manifestation we commonly call the gifts of the Spirit. So the Spirit comes to live within us as we confess Jesus as Lord. And then the Spirit begins to manifest his presence in our lives through various gifts. <clears throat> And it's also important to note that the Spirit gives us these gifts for the common good of the church. In other words, the gifts are not given for me. This was the, this was the, the height of irony that the Corinthians were dealing with. You know, it's like, oh, well, I have this gift. I'm special. You don't have this gift. You're a lower life form. You know, it, 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 they, they were dividing themselves over gifts that were intended to be given for the common good of all. The gifts are given for the benefit of the body and for those outside of the body. More about that in a moment. The next thing he tells us is that there are a variety of gifts. So there's not just one. There's a variety of gifts, and they all come from the same Holy Spirit within us. Look at, at, at chapter 12, verse 4. It says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. 
I want you to hear the emphasis on that. The emphasis is on God. The emphasis is on the Holy Spirit. The emphasis is on Jesus Christ, who's the source of the gifts, of the service, of the activities. It is God. And, and there are varieties of them. But it all comes from God. And notice, further, Paul gives us a list of these gifts. He starts in verse 8 of chapter 12. He says, to one is given through the Spirit the gift of the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Now these are, these are gifts that involve speaking language we can understand. And Paul intentionally starts there because he wants them to focus on communicating things that people can understand. And so he says, to one is given gifts of wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is just the, the gift to apply knowledge. I've known a lot of people who, who were brilliant, who, who, who knew all kinds of things, but didn't have an ounce of wisdom. <laughs> didn't know how to apply it. My dad used to commonly look at me when I was growing up and just say, boy, you ain't got no common sense, right? You ever heard that before? You're lacking common sense. You see, common sense is, a, is sort of a colloquial way of saying you need some wisdom. You got to get some of that, right? Look at your neighbor and say, I want some of that. Yeah. I want some of that. Give me some of that. Yeah. Well, not only wisdom, but knowledge is also a gift of the Holy Spirit. And to another faith, he says, faith, not, this is more than, than saving faith. This is more than the faith that is sufficient to save you. This is the faith can, that can move mountains, as he's going to say in chapter 13. This is the get-out-the-way kind of faith. I'm coming in. That's the kind of faith we're talking about there. This is a special gift of faith beyond normal saving faith. And he says to another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, working of miracles. Well, you say healing is a miracle, yes. And so what, am I, what are we saying? Paul is just giving us a, a sort of a variety, a list of the, of the varieties of gifts that the spirit gives. And he's emphasizing it that it all comes from the same spirit. These are not, these are not clearly defined categories, if you will. And to another, prophecy. What is prophecy? Prophecy is divine revelation that comes to a human being who has this gift and who's able to communicate to another person or a group of people some word of knowledge or encouragement or guidance that helps them. And, and it can be it can have a future element to it, as the Old Testament did with prophets, where, where they, would, they would prophetically say, this is what's going to happen. And it can also have a meaning that pulls together things now for someone. I understand this is what's happening in your life, and this is what God wants you to know right now. That's prophecy. A very, very important gift in the New Testament and still today. And then he says to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. And what Paul means is to distinguish between that which is directed by the spirit of God and that which is directed by the evil one. But I also think he, he places it after prophecy because there's times when people don't quite get it right. I've been to a school of supernatural ministry before. How many of you have ever been to a school like that where, where you're, you're trying to learn about the gifts of the spirit? And, and one exercise that we had at, at the last school I attended we were supposed to go up to someone and basically pray that God would give us a word of prophecy, a word of knowledge for that person. And so this dear brother came along, and he was, he was telling me what his word from God was about me. And, and it had absolutely nothing to do with me. 
He was reading the mail, but it wasn't my mail. I'm sure it was for somebody out there, but it wasn't for me. All right? Now, the blessed thing was that he was, he was opening himself to be used in the Spirit of God. And if you don't do that, if you don't, if you don't say, Lord, let, show me, let me use. So if you don't do that, you're not going to understand how to use the weapons that you have. Right? But I just tell you that, yes, we have the gift of prophecy, but we also need the gift of discernment in the body of Christ. And to another, he says, various kinds of tongues, and to, the, to another, the interpretation of tongues. Now, what I want you to understand is that Paul puts the word tongues and the gift of tongues last in his list. In fact, in every list that he, that he puts out, there's another one later in 1 Corinthians, he puts the gift of tongues last. He does that intentionally. Not because it's necessarily the least or the, the worst of the gifts, but because he's countering what's happening in their congregation. Because some people think that gift is the bee's knees. And he says, no, that the spirit is the bee's knees. And the spirit is given a variety of gifts, and they're all important. And he throws in the gift of tongues at the end of the list to de-emphasize it. For them. All of these, he says, are empowered by one and the same Spirit. So there's a variety of gifts. They all come from the Holy Spirit within each of us. Next, the Holy Spirit decides which gifts are manifested in each believer, not the believer. If you look at verse 11 that we were just reading, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. It is the spirit who decides how to manifest his presence in the life of a believer. It's not like Amazon for spiritual gifts. All right, how many of you guys like Amazon? I mean, I like Amazon too much, I'm just telling you. My wife likes Amazon too, she'll tell you right now, we love it. And, and we just go on there and, and we just click, I use her credit card number by the way, so it looks like she buys everything, okay? And so we just click, and it comes two days later. I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is an amazing thing. Can I get an amen for Amazon this morning? <laughs> no pun intended. I, I, I'm not trying to, to, to uh, we're not praying to Amazon, okay? But the point is, the point is, we live in a society that's very consumer-oriented, and we like to get what we like to get. We like our stuff. And life's gotten far more complicated through the years. I mean, I used to go to the grocery store, and there were like, there were, there were, there were two kinds of toothpaste. And now there's like 50, right? And there's some that do this, and some that do that, and there's some that, you know, that peroxide you, and there's some that, that brush you and shine you up, and there's some that lift and separate, and I don't know, it's just amazing what toothpaste can do these days. I might be getting my products mixed up, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> But when it comes to the spiritual gifts, God says, listen, I'm in the best place to determine what needs to be manifested in your life. Now, you're going to say, well, but we're supposed to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Yeah, we're going to talk about the amendment, and, and, and that's true. That's true. We're going to talk about what that means. But at this point, it's helpful to understand that this car is not going to be driven by you. This car is driven by the Holy Spirit, and that's good. Because the Holy Spirit has the big picture in mind. He has the whole body in mind. He knows just where to put you in that body. The next thing I want to say is that not every believer exhibits the same gifts. 
or has the same manifestation of the Spirit. And this is by God's design. Because we are the body of Christ. The body is intended to have a variety of parts, all with different functions, all working together or else it would not be the body. Now, Paul understands that people think in pictures, they don't think in words. And so he gives us this beautiful illustration. It starts in, in verse 12. He says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For we're all baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, slaves are free. We're all made to drink deluged by that same one spirit. So the spirit makes us one body, he says. He's using the, the physical human body analogy. And he says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. That's right. I mean, that doesn't take rocket scientists to figure that out. I mean, Tiana could have told you not everybody's an arm, right? Arms don't walk down the street, right? Arms don't see. They don't hear. When's the last time you saw an arm trying to go to the bathroom? It don't happen. Arms got to have the rest of the body to get where it needs to get to, to be able to grab what it needs to grab, to be able to do what it needs to do. It has to have the other parts. God, everybody's an arm. And that's part of what Paul's trying to say. Don't think that you don't belong to the body if you don't have a particular gift. I've heard people say, even as recently as last week, you know, we, we've been teaching on Wednesday night. We lead a, a Bible study. We've been exposing 1 Corinthians 12 for, for several weeks now. And, and it's, it's, it's very difficult not to compare yourself to other people and, and sometimes to, you know, not to want to have their gift. Man, I wish I could do that. Man, I wish I had that gift. And, and, and we tend to want what someone else has. And we tend to think we're lesser than because we don't have that. Or, or on the other side of the coin, sometimes, like I said earlier, we think we're special just like the Corinthians did. And we've got that and someone else, oh, poor so-and-so. They just had that gift. No. It is God's design that we are all different. He made us physically unique. There's not another person on the planet like Emily. Okay? Right there. Raise your hand, Emily. She's unique. She's a blessing. She's God's beautiful creation. And I could go around the room and say that to every single one of you. And it's the same way with the Spirit. The Spirit comes within you, and the Spirit will manifest His presence in your life in a way that best fits within the entire body. You might be an arm. You might be an eye. You might be an ear. You might be a nose. You might be a freckle. You could be a toe. These are all just examples. But every part is important. Every single part. So don't think that you don't belong to the body if, if you don't have a particular gift. And, and don't think that your gift is more important than that of another person, or a, a brother or sister, such that they have to have your gift to be as spiritual as you are. Paul tells us clearly that some brothers and sisters do not have some gifts by God's design. And next... Paul says every gift, every part of the body is important. And the body is more important than its individual parts. Look at 1 Corinthians 25, verses 25 and 26 in chapter 12. He says, beginning in the middle of 24, But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division 
in the body, but that members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. There's a dynamic to the church, to the body of Christ, that I am deeply concerned that we miss as, as, as people who live in Western society. You see, we live in a society that focuses on the individual. We have our individual rights. We, we are encouraged to focus on me. We live, live in a, a culture that, that tends to accentuate literally selfishness and greed. It's all about me. Okay? And when we come to know Christ, we step into a different dynamic. It's, not, it's, it's a new dynamic to us, a new mindset to us, but it's not new to the God, to God at all. It, it's from the Old Testament through the New Testament. And here's the principle that the body, the community, is more important than the individual. In the Old Testament, if one person in the camp sinned, God would plague the entire camp. Can you, can you, imagine, can you imagine what was happening back then? If they had been in Western society and they didn't understand the importance of the community, they would have they would stand and said, oh, I got my rights. Why am I being punished for what he did? Go punish him. Take him to court. Put him in jail. Punish him. I didn't do that. He did that. But God would plague the entire camp until the sin was dealt with. In the New Testament, God is not changed. God birthed the church on the day of Pentecost. He gave the Holy Spirit to create a body with all these parts. Jesus, Jesus said to his disciples in John, he said, listen, I'm going to go be with the Father. And when I go to be with the Father, the Spirit will come and will be in you. And you will do greater things than I have done. And I've read that passage so many times and I thought, wow. I haven't lived a single day where I've done anything greater than Jesus. But what he's referring to is the body of Christ. You see, Jesus was a human in one body able to reach his hands, his heart, his, his mind, his mouth, and touch all along the way and heal and bring transformation to people's lives. He's saying, when I go to be the Father, I'm going to send the Spirit. The Spirit will be in you, and we're going to create this organic body with all these parts. And you're going to do this, and you're going to do this, and we're going to spread across the entire earth together. And we will accomplish far greater things than I've accomplished in one individual body. In the church, we have to understand that we are connected organically by the Spirit of God. And, and, when, and, and when one is honored, we are all honored. And when one suffers, we all suffer. And let me go another step. When one sins, it hurts the whole body. There are some people who think, well, I'll just do my individual sin. You know, nobody knows about it, whatever. And it doesn't hurt. It just hurts me. No, 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 no. No. When the Spirit created the church, it made us one. It made us one. And when I choose to live in a way that doesn't honor God, I hurt you. As my brothers and sisters. And when you do something amazing, like Cheryl was talking about earlier, when she stops and she prays for this soul who's parked their car in the middle of a parking lot and is crying, 
Yes! That's a celebration for all of us. <coughs> I engage in a little spiritual discipline myself each day because I need it. I leak. <laughs> I got to put more in, right? And so I, 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 I say this every day. Every day. Day doesn't pass when I don't say this. And here's what I say. It's not about me. This life is not about me. It's about him, and it's about us. It's not about me. It's about him, and it's about us. Say that with me. It's not about me. It's all about him, and it's also about us. The last thing I want to say is Paul closes chapter 12 by saying, earnestly desire the higher gifts. And, and you just heard me say, listen, it's the Holy Spirit who decides what, what manifestation is going to occur in your life, what gifts you're going to receive. It's the Holy Spirit, yes. But Paul also says that earnestly desire them, seek them. And he calls them the higher gifts. And the word higher here is probably better understood as helpful, the most helpful gifts. Paul's going to go on in chapter 13 and 14. He's going to say, listen, speaking in tongues is amazing and it's powerful. I speak in tongues more than all of you. I have my own prayer language. I, I, I get that. But I'd rather you say four or five words that someone can understand than a thousand in a tongue that they can't. Why? Because the, 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 the speaking in, in words that someone can understand is more helpful to the body. To the body. I used to go up to my dad. I would say, uh, you know, can I have this? Can I have this? If I was a real good boy, they would take me to, uh, to, to the uh, base exchange on Friday when they'd go to the grocery store, and I could have a toy because my dad was an enlisted man in the Air Force. And so that was the incentive plan in the Justice household. Your good boy, toy, like. And so I would say, can I have this? And if I didn't get the answer I wanted the first time, I would say, can I have this? Can I have this? Maybe you didn't hear me the first time. Can I have this? Can I have this? I just keep asking. And sometimes, you know, I learned after a while, I could just wear my parents down, right? You just keep asking until they can't take it anymore. They finally give in. And okay, I'll give you what you want. I don't think God's quite that way. But I think that kind of desire is what Paul has in mind. I want you to earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. Ask. Ask. You know, now I'm a father. I'm, I'm, shh, I'm kind of an old man now. I don't like to tell people that. 60 years old and counting, they tell me. And now I've got sons that are grown up and Hopefully, they'll get busy someday and have grandkids, you know. And I just look for the day when one of them's pulling on me and said, can I have this? Can I have that? And guess what I'm going to say? Sometimes I'm going to say, yep. And to go to Sue, she's going to say, yep, more than me? <laughs> yep. Sometimes I'm going to say, nope, nope, you cannot jump off that cliff. Nope. But it's only 20 feet. Nope. And sometimes I'm going to say, wait. Not yet. 
It's not for you. Wait. But I, I want them to ask. I want them to want. I want them to desire. God built us that way. And, and it's awesome to desire the most helpful spiritual gifts. I tell you this much. We are, as Paul closes, he says, you are the body of Christ. Filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Filled with the power and presence which created the universe and flung it into being. You have that individually and as a body in a corporate sense. You are the body of Christ. You don't understand that the gates of hell cannot prevail against you. That's not a defensive statement. That's an offensive statement. When you go out, it cannot stop you. But some of us live, you know, as if we don't have, as if we don't have the resources available to us. But we do. We have the very spirit of God within us. And part of this earnestly desiring the more higher or helpful gifts is a, is a change of mindset that I'm going to encourage you to do this week. I want you to begin to think, what is it that God has for me already inside of me that I don't see? I don't understand that I have that tool in the shed. I don't even know how to use it. I want you to pray that God will reveal that to you and that you will step out. You know how you learn to use a hammer? By using it. <laughs> or a saw? By using it. Or a computer? By using it. Ask God, as you earnestly desire the higher gifts, to reveal that to you. We live in a fractured world, a very divided and broken world. God's plan A to address the brokenness of this world is the church. We are his plan. He has poured out his spirit on us to make us one body with many parts, working together in harmony and in unity with the power of God, with the gifts of the spirit to transform the world. stand as we pray. Father, on this Pentecost Sunday, we celebrate the birth of the church. We celebrate that your spirit was poured out upon us, that your spirit is still poured out upon us, that you are the gift, still manifesting yourself in our lives. I pray, God, that as we go forth this week, we will remember that it's not about us as individuals, but it's about you and it's about the body. And help us to, to, to strive to excel in our place in the body so that the body fully functions well for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be dismissed. <laughs>